I'm Mark Walsh, and coming up on today's show... That's really the biggest competition that we have is the old way of thinking. The future is really digital, where you can do it yourself or still have that great graphic designer that you have go into a platform that's specifically built for nonprofit reports and bring your donors into the storytelling that you're doing. Welcome to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast. What's working in Washington? Today's guest is Josh Kligman. He's the co-founder and CEO of Yearly. So here's the pitch. There are 1.8 million not-for-profits in America, a bunch of them right here in the D.C. region. How do they stand out? How do they get your attention or funders' attention or volunteers' attention? How do they get people to visit, understand what they do, and commit? Well, one of the tools is their annual report. And making that fun, informative, sexy, well, that's what Josh does. So learn more with me about how not-for-profits get their message out. Here's our conversation. Josh, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Mark. So I love one word named companies uh, that have a nice link to sort of the, the Uber, uh, forgive the, the use of that word, kind of the, the Uber goal. What was the aha moment that made you and your colleagues found this company? We just had a lot of nonprofit experience where we found ourselves and clients spending so much time, effort, and 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 budget really on creating annual reports and impact reports and the like, and we were sick of it and we wanted to find a better way. And they typically don't have, I mean, not to diss them, the budget, some of the expertise, some of the the value-add services that a corporation would have to be good at that. Yeah, there's really a wide range. And when budget is a factor, especially in a pandemic here, um, you know, it could be it could be really hard. And I don't see a reason why a nonprofit that has lots of resources, lots of funds, and a larger staff should have a really polished piece of marketing and fundraising materials that they can go to corporate donors and get lots of money from where the small Small guys are left behind. Yeah. And we built a platform for nonprofits to create digital reports like annual reports and impact reports so that we can sort of even that playing field. Well, it certainly seems like Washington is a target-rich environment, as they say. I mean, I've heard some amazing numbers of how many not-for-profits and I guess even trade associations, which effectively are not-for-profits, in this area. Has that been your experience? Yeah. I mean, around the country, there's about uh, 1.8 million uh, nonprofit organizations, what? charities, associations, wow. and foundations, right? 10 million worldwide. In the Washington area, there's a lot, and it's one of six markets around the country where they're really consolidated, and it really runs the range from small with one-person one team yeah. to really large household names. Are you seeing any consolidation in this marketplace? And the reason I bring it up is that I was uh, recently was uh, listening, uh, speaking with a, a person in this arena and said that there are like 12 preschool lunch programs, not-for-profit preschool lunch programs, that all have a budget of around a million to a million five. And the idea was if you brought all that capacity and energy and budget together, all the wood behind one arrow is the phrase used to go, or you used to say that you would have more capacity for some of these not-for-profits. Are you seeing some of that sort of M&A and roll-ups going on? I'm not seeing it personally, but, yeah. I mean, it's a intuitive idea that makes sense if the industry needs it. I mean, I think of uh, colon cancer uh, charities, right? right? And they each have a different specialty. But how do you get them to work together? So, I mean, partnerships is something that could also be another 
uh, faster and simpler answer to, to M&A that could get them to work together. Someone may focus on uh, promoting research, and they collect money for that. They give it to doctors. That's very much needed. What about the awareness? Another group may focus on the awareness. If they work together and partner with, let's say, like uh, media companies and PSAs, they can get the word out about both and hit, you know, 10 birds with one stone. So, I mean, where it makes sense, they, they should definitely go for it, especially, yeah. especially during harder economic times. Bingo. So the annual report, what, what yearly would typically do for a client in a, in a given in interaction and given relationship how far does it extend beyond the actual annual report? Do you do prep work? Do you do helping distribute it to people digitally that they haven't reached before, all the above? Well, it's a self-serve platform, so got nonprofits it. go on themselves. But I, I remember when I was working at a nonprofit here in the in the D.C. area, I took a training uh, that was given by Ritz-Carlton, who's right here in, in the Chevy Chase area. Yeah, And I learned a great wealth of information about customer service. So one thing that I've taken from that is giving sort of a white glove treatment, you know, especially when it comes to sales and and customer success after customers sign up to do anything to give all the information and resources that you have. I mean, I think that's how companies can keep customers and clients for long periods of time versus kind of sitting back. So we like to give all the advice we can and we like yearly uh, nonprofit organizations to know that it's built on a uh, a nonprofit um, background, which is my background and, and my co-founder, co-founder's background. But essentially, nonprofits create the reports themselves, not limited to annual or impact reports. Uh, there could be donor reports or event recaps that, re- make, that they make. Whatever can show that impact in the community uh, to the donors and stakeholders and board members uh, in a way that they haven't done before because there's not another solution like that out there except for the way it's always done, which is just really expensive and timely. So you're, you're hitting on something that I see and hear a bunch of, which is sort of results-based philanthropy, that people are now, and I think correctly so. I mean, you come from a tech background like me. Uh, you worked at uh, America Online, then it became known as AOL when That's you were right. there. I, was, I preceded you a bit. But this idea of uh, results-based philanthropy, which makes intuitive sense. Like, why would you give a dollar to an ent- entity that's not going to have any outcomes that you are donating for? Are you seeing that? being kind of a winnowing effect on not-for-profits that those that weren't that good at it are starting to fall to the wayside? Or how is this impacting the the arena? You know, digital uh, tactics allow you to really track metrics, right? Yeah. And you could take a look and see today any activity that you have online. Let's take it from the nonprofit perspective or or here in the Washington, D.C. area, a lot of of trade associations and and foundations that um, have an activity and they want to reach a certain audience. And you can use um, digital metrics to see who's visiting your website, who's taking an action, and follow that path the whole way through. Those that don't have access to that type of technology or don't take advantage of it, and you can no matter what size organization you are, it's just a matter of at what, at what level or at what pace, you know, might not know what they don't know. And yeah. I think there needs to be a lot of education around that to help. Um, there's a lot of value in just kind of studying the, uh, the efforts that you're putting into any marketing or fundraising campaign for nonprofits and seeing what the return is on that. Without that, how do you know if it's a repeatable uh, growth you know, channel that you can really attack? Key, was it KPI, right? Key performance indicators, which yeah, that's was right. one venture, but now I think sounds like you're saying is bleeding into the not-for-profit arena. Yeah. If I were to start a website today selling uh, um, hot dogs, I would want to know how many I'm selling right. and where I'm selling them, who I'm selling them to. 
which sales are working. The same thing applies with asking for uh, donations and you're going after people that have donated before. You're talking to people that you want to donate for the first time and you need to communicate that value and understand what works and what doesn't. It involves a lot of testing and it doesn't have to be very expensive. You can make it more complex later on as your organization is ready to grow. We're talking with Josh Kligman. Josh is the co-founder and CEO of Yearly. So forgive this analogy. Uh, I apologize up front, but I'm older than you, and sometimes I see some ageism or at least an, an age, a sort of a line in the sand between the types of people that manage not-for-profits in the 80s, 90s, and the aughts and what today's demands are for that kind of executive. So that man or woman is now, I think, being faced with all sorts of uh, acceleration of change, all sorts of opportunities, all sorts of fresh uh, suppliers that can be so good at the, at the digital presence they have to have. Are you seeing some of those challenges with management? Um, I think that the learning curve is more restricted by the staff that's helping that management lead the way. Got it. If they have enough staff and they're hiring people that are focused on uh, a digital age or growth versus let's just do what's been working and not willingness to try new things, which could you know, be fine for some organizations. They might not have the bandwidth to, to be able to try new things. Yeah. Um, I think that's what it's limited by. It's kind of like the concept of surrounding yourself with people that know certain aspects of the business or, or the nonprofit world better than you do and letting them kind of run with it and be the expert there um, and you're guiding the ship. So I, I, you know, I haven't really seen that, but where I've seen that done really well is with people that build up staff with really knowledgeable teams in, in their uh, area of expertise. Well, that mimics how the real world works yeah. anyway. I mean, corporations that were best uh, best performers brought in fresh talent, and the C-suite wasn't threatened by fresh perspectives that the new talent brought in, which is hopefully what we're seeing in not-for-profits. Yeah. I'll, I'll give you a great example here from the Washington area. There's a, a wonderful uh, organization called Food and Friends in Washington, D.C., and they are a nonprofit that is really helping to provide meals for people that need them in the area, especially if they have uh, nutritional or health restrictions. Yeah. They deliver those meals. They have thousands of volunteers. And, um, you know, they do a really great job at highlighting those volunteers since there's thousands of them and showing the donors to Food and Friends uh, the impact that, that they're making. They do that through a digital impact report or annual report that they make every year. And um, not everybody's highlighting those volunteers. That expertise comes from someone that they put in that position there as a communications director that said, you know, this is what we need to do, not only create a digital report because that's the wave of the future, but we're going to highlight certain audiences. And then they work closely, and they know to do this, work closely with the fundraising department to make sure certain things like that are highlighted. And, um, and that's, how they, that's how they get the word out. And um, they have the power to, to run with those types of tactics. So – are your clients – this is an, another unfair question, but gosh darn it, I've got a million of them for you yeah, today, go ahead. Josh. Are your clients often not focused on what their annual report should be doing for them? Are they like, hey, I wanted to raise money, I wanted to raise awareness? Are they sort of scattershot and you need to focus them into a few things that it's going to be good at? Or do they show up with a target and say, I need my report to help me raise more money or I need my report to help me uh, get, get more volunteers? I'm, uh, is there a blend of your clients or wh where does that go? They're savvy. Nine out of ten times they have a focus on exactly what they need to do and Great. and why. If it's an annual report, they're doing it because they want to show that impact so that the people that gave last year to that organization will do it again. And if it's an impact report where they want to show off a specific uh, 
uh, event that they did, like uh, the World Wildlife Fund, WWF, another sure. local D.C. example, did an impact report on tigers. They said 10 years ago, we would need to double the amount of tigers that we have uh, in the world. Wow. They went, they helped did that, they created a report on it, and um, and their goal was to tell all their donors and stakeholders that they did that. So they have a specific goal in mind. I don't, luckily, I don't need to do that guidance. I just need to show them how to get on the platform and make right, it. Right, yeah. right. So you spent uh, a good chunk of time at 4-H, uh, a well-known not-for-profit here in the Washington, D.C. area, right there on Connecticut, right? Yeah, that's a, yeah right in Chevy Chase. Yeah. So um, that must have been very educational because talk about a global brand with some local local flavor where, wherever it is. What are some lessons learned from that that organization that, that you've applied in, at Yearly? Uh, I think I really learned the communication skills when working with nonprofits all, the, all over the country because 4-H has clubs in every county, and they may have slightly different goals when it comes to fundraising or whatnot. But I made a lot of reports there, and I think I learned how to become more and more efficient over time, not just there, but in my role here at Yearly to, uh, to help those organizations save time and money because the bu- budgets are slim, and yep. they just don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of wiggle room. We're talking with Josh Kligman. We're going to take a break now. When we come back, Josh and I are going to talk about, about fundraising for organizations like Yearly and maybe as important how not-for-profits have dealt with the pandemic and how they're getting better and better at fundraising or paying the price for it. Our conversation continues after this break. Every week on What's Working in Washington, we talk to power players about innovation in the federal government and how business in the region is keeping us competitive. If you know someone we should be talking to on our show, let us know. You can reach out through our website or through Twitter. We're really happy to have with us today Josh Kligman. Josh is the co-founder and CEO of Yearly, a DMV-based company helping not-for-profits in their annual reports and presentation, fundraising, and overall perception of value. So let's go there to the company, Yearly. How has it been funded, either personally or external angel funding? What's What's been the experience? Oh, well, we really started out uh, funding it personally, me and my co-founder, and Grew it very organically from there. And, you know, when the pandemic first hit and we're trying to call nonprofits and say, hey, I'm, I'm Josh with Yearly. Uh, nice to meet you. There's no one to answer the phone and budgets were being slashed. So actually, that was at a point where we just opened up the platform for free to get as many nonprofits to right. use it as possible. Well, we really built up our, our pricing model and waited for the right time. And then at that point, we went through a great accelerator program based out of Phoenix. They used to be in D.C. called SeedSpot yep. and another one in Baltimore called the Conscious Venture Lab. And that gave us an opportunity to meet people. That led us to talking to an angel investor who's now on our board, who has experience in this tech for good space. And, um, you know, I, I think meeting the right people and, and, and getting advice has been key to the growth because now we have over 2,000 nonprofits using the platform. Congratulations. So Thank the you. D.C. Yeah. Baltimore area was good to you when you were looking for sources of capital, presenting your company, getting the getting getting the ask out there. Yeah, it was excellent. I mean, now I kind of think uh, globally, but most of the contacts I'm making and a lot of the nonprofits we work with are, are neighbors, <laughs> which is yeah. great. Yeah. So you mentioned PPP and the impact on your customers and your prospects. Mm-hmm. What was the impact on you? Did you get PPP loans? How how, how did you guys uh, sort of surf the challenging waves that that represented? No, I mean we were a really small and lean team then, so yeah. we were able to um, we were able to kind of pivot our business model a little bit so that 
even though we were giving away the platform for free, we said, hey, if you need help designing your reports, at that time we offered custom graphic design services, like an agency style. Yeah. So that's how we could uh, have some revenue and stay afloat. Then we launched our annual subscription model with a free trial, and that's how we kind of built the company out over the last 12 months. And who was your competitor when you approach a not-for-profit, or they? I guess they come to your site and, and are poking around and trying to learn who do you find they've been using and they need to transfer to you, or where were they exploring besides you? What, what, what's your sense of that? Yesterday, in the past, a nonprofit or a foundation or an association would make an annual report or an impact report by using in-house graphic designers or hiring a graphic design freelance or, or a small advertising agency, take that time, create the report, save it as a PDF, Yep. maybe print it, right? And I've done this in the past, and I know that's a, a timely, costly process, but it's the only way that we know. I remember six or seven years ago, I said to a colleague in the office, I wish we could do something digital, but we didn't have the answer for, for what that was at the time. Yeah. So that's that's really the biggest competition that we have is the old way of thinking. The future is really digital, Yeah. where you could do it yourself or still have that great graphic designer that you have go into a platform that's specifically built for nonprofit reports and build it out, because I think there's a lot of more engaging ways that you can bring your donors into the storytelling that you're doing. What's your sense of your client's perception of usage for either on desktop, laptop versus mobile? Are they moving mobile as, mu- as dramatically as other arenas are? Yeah, desktop's still the lead. Yeah. Uh, we see about maybe 25% of uh, annual reports being viewed on mobile and tablets combined, which is still which is still a lot. But I think an annual report is such a detailed document yeah. that a donor that really wants to read through the stories that you're telling, or now we even allow um, social media posts and videos to be embedded to tell the story more, which makes that it more- That was my next mo- question. Got, well, yeah. I'll, I'll get into it more later, but yeah. it makes it more mobile friendly. Yeah. But there's still a lot of stories to tell, and I think it's easier to to read on desktop, but we, we offer both, and we see, we see mobile climbing. So one thing I've always had as a challenge when I interact with not-for-profits is getting them to- Mimic the for-profit arena in what they used to call USP in the advertising business. Unique selling proposition. You know, the one thing you do that nobody else can do. How often do you find your platform being used to sort of hone down the not-for-profit's sensitivity of a USP? What, what, what is their, you know, what is their, what's the tip of the spear? Do you see that a lot or, you, or, or do they usually show up knowing that? Well, they usually know it and they think about their... Um you know, their angle in the community by the impact that they're making and why. So, yeah. you know, when it comes down to telling their story, we always advise, you know, pick someone who's being affected by your story positively from the money and the efforts brought in and let them be the center of that storytelling. Tell that story in your annual report. Yep. So you have a new playground that your nonprofit built. Talk about how that, you know, young boy or girl goes to that playground every day and that was built because of the funds that we brought in, the volunteers that built it, on and on, right? Um, but you know how you're telling that you're telling that story for a reason, and how you're telling that story could be engaging or not. So that's why I say, you know, bring in bring in a social media post you did six months ago about that playground. Let that complement the text you have and the photos that you have, and that can kind of drive towards that that goal that they have, which is probably getting more donations the following year. Track that year over year and see if it works. Yeah. Well, you mentioned video, and I think. Look, the world has clearly sort of figured this out in many arenas. How far, again, unfair question, how far are not-for-profits, writ large, your your whole customer base, and I'm sure the answer is it depends, 
are they adopting video as a way to tell that story? Almost all of them. I mean, they may not have a YouTube channel, but a lot of them are very active on Facebook. Yeah. And Facebook has a video platform. And I saw a school, it's, I think it's the uh, McDonough School, Independent School in Montgomery County, I know Maryland. Well. You do? Okay. Yes. They created a report, and instead of an introductory letter from the head of the school, I saw them put a video in there. Yeah. So they made a video specifically for it. So that was really fast adoption and thinking, oh, how can we plug in videos to be more interactive with our audience base? And uh, other people have those videos. We say, hey, you don't have to create something new. Just take it and, and put it in the report. So I, I went to a competitor at McDonough, and, and our school, my alma mater, is um, is trying to do the same thing. I, I, that's funny. Bring up, bring up McDonough because the headmaster, in, in my case, it's a boys' school, um, our new headmaster needs to be the messenger. And I think this is part of what you touched on earlier. The messenger can be little Susie at the playground with the example you used or yep. the head who is he or she directing, you know, laying out a new direction for the entity or, or, or whatever. And I guess that gets to my question about your clients. First of all, you said you have 2000 clients worldwide. Yeah. And growing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. most of them came recently. So, so how many are, how many are domestic versus international? Probably about eighty percent are domestic. Yeah. Um, you know, we have some in uh um Europe and uh and Africa and they're all they're all doing, you know, the same thing, trying to tell their mission in a very concrete way. And how do they find you if they're international? Well, our marketing strategies have a couple different components to them. Um one of them is trying to um allow people to easily find us, you know, through a search Just like a search. Google, right? Yeah, got it. So there's certain certain tactics we have to take to make sure that they could do that. Um, word of mouth, I think, in the nonprofit world, though, is is really Wrong. big. If you do a good job with um, the McDonough School or, yeah. or, or Food and Friends, you know, hopefully they'll tell a, a friend and they go to the next organization. Maybe they'll take that idea with them if we're lucky. Have you ever been white-labeled where a marketing agency that used to get the assignment uses you without telling the client? Well, we offer something uh, that's just like that. There's a lot of graphic design shops that yeah. use us that have nonprofit clients. Um, I think that's a wave of the future. Um, you know, we focus on nonprofits now, but we already are getting some interest from um, uh, corporate social impact teams. Yep. Um, and at some some uh, big companies, one of them is a major league soccer team out west. And uh, then we'd like to go to sales teams at. Uh, TV, radio stations, advertising agencies, and let them do reports that are recaps on their clients. There's a future there that um, just folds nicely into the platform that we already have. Well, you started at CBS Radio Sales, right? So the whole idea of media sales is finally coming full circle with you. Yeah, I guess that's right. I yeah. mean, the last time I was, uh, you know, in a, uh, in a in a studio um, like this, you know, they maybe um, um, you know accidentally let me voice spots for my clients. <laughs> Well, the idea of uh, you, you just teed this up, uh, the idea of the CSR head at a corp at a for profit corporation, the social impact head, the even the chief human resource officer who's trying to reach out for new candidates to apply and stuff and sort of internal candidates to grow and stuff like that. I it sounds like you're seeing that the for profit arena has entities within them that that look and act like not for profits. They do. So you can think about hospitality. I mean, you know, even government has a degree of this. Um, and I mentioned hospitality because Washington now has a you know a lot of major you know uh, hotel corporations right, yep. and they want to show the impact that they're doing in terms of giving back to their community and not just in Washington everywhere they may have a hotel, so they have a team of people that that does that and they show the charity partners they work with what they're doing independently and they need to communicate that to their to their board and stakeholders of the nonprofits they work with. 
Well, you mentioned the federal government. Here we are in Washington, D.C. The name of the show is What's Working in Washington. And not to focus that, but do you have any government clients? And if so, are they federal or state or municipal or all the above? We have a county government client. Okay. um, And they don't make annual reports per se. They do monthly or quarterly recaps of the work that they're doing. Yeah. Which I think is really helpful to to their specific organization. Um, It's on the roadmap for the future to to go bigger than that with government. Yeah. So roadmap, good word, because, I mean, I work for the federal government and I think you know, sort of GovTech as a as an arena, fintech, GovTech, edtech, agtech, all the all the arenas we're seeing. It strikes me, and maybe you're just at at phase one on this, that if anybody needs a better presentation of what they do and how it affects your life, I think government's probably a pretty good pretty good cross, pro- prospect. Yeah, I think that that's probably right. Um... It's something that we uh, we w- we want to attack, but I think since our our specialty is in nonprofit and, and our background, yeah, we start there and build our base and grow. But I think I think you're right on. Last question before we get to our wrap up: What's next for the firm? Are you going to raise bluntly? Maybe it's none of my business. Raise more money, expand, get other offices, go to Europe with an office there for sales and service. What's 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 the future hold? Well, we're in Bethesda, Maryland now. Uh, we want to grow um, locally here. We hire, you know, remote employees uh, you know, anywhere that they're at, though. Yep. And um, you know, our focus is on just helping as many nonprofits as we as we can. So the marketing and sales around that is is the focus, and we want to be, you know, the biggest and the best at what we do. Future so bright, you got to wear shades. Okay, Josh. Final question: We ask our guests here on What's Working in Washington. If you rule the world for some period of time, reasonable period of time, what would you start have happening? Or what would you make start to ha- happen, if I'm phrasing that right? And what would you stop happening if you could do one or the other or both? I think what I would do if I was to start something would be, uh, and this will be my serious answer, the, 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 second, the second half will be more personal, but I think that I'd like to create some sort of fund for small nonprofits to access technology, of all sorts. Yep. Um, that makes it just as easy as you know maybe what we're trying to do. And there's lots of great tech tech for good firms out there that offer technology for software for nonprofits. If you start googling around, what I would uh, stop is to um, uh, I guess ask my best friends to get off my back about my suffering as a New York Jets fan over the last nine or ten years. Ouch. And really focus on the great future that they have and the great past that they had. So, that fantasy brought to you by Josh Kligman. No, I uh, as we wrap up, I'm so I'm from Baltimore. I was a Baltimore Colts fan, and since oh. your Jets beat me in 1969, I can never look at the Jets logo the same way. But but that being said, as an Oriole fan now, I I share your pain of rooting for a team that just doesn't get much done each year. So let's let's pretend you and me, Josh, that someday we'll celebrate an Oriole victory in baseball and a Jets victory in the Super Bowl. Yeah, well, Joe Namath's a cool guy. I'm hoping Zach Wilson's the same, but I'll I'll, I'll celebrate with you, hopefully soon. From your lips to Jets fans, God, it's not God's ears. It's Josh Kligman. He joins us today on What's Working in Washington. He's the co-founder and CEO of Yearly. Josh, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me. The team behind What's Working in Washington is a great group. The executive producer and editor is Tracy Madigan. Online content, Anna DeGraff. And that theme music you enjoy... Performed by the Sunbathers. You've been listening to What's Working in Washington on Federal News Network and streaming as a podcast.